Welcome to Satsang. Good morning, Vishran. Would you please be able to speak about what is required to wake up? The very thing that wants to wake up, the I, the ego, actually can't wake up because awakening is when that that is aware of the mind becomes aware of itself, which has, actually has nothing to do with the ego, the I. So the I can never really wake up, but what it can do is facilitate uh, an environment where awakening can occur. And so the work for the seeker is to remove any obstacle that is in the way of awakening and use methodologies like self-inquiry and meditation to turn awareness back to itself so awareness can lock onto itself and stay on itself. Someone who's enlightened has that that is aware of the mind, aware of itself continuously, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For most human beings, awareness that's aware of the mind is just that, aware of the mind and through the senses, the body and the world. Someone who's awake has managed to turn awareness back to itself. The I doesn't really get to come to that party because the I itself, without imagination, doesn't exist. It's a dream. But it can assist by self-inquiring, asking the question, who's aware or what's aware? It can also assist by removing any obstacle which creates resistance or contraction in the mind and attracts awareness to itself. This would mean removing belief systems that have expectations attached to them. When those expectations aren't met, contraction and resistance to life can occur. In removing or undoing the belief systems, there can be freedom from that form of resistance. So, we go on and on and on. How do we wake up? The eye thinks, well, I'll wake up. No, the eye doesn't wake up. Awakening can occur at any time. A satori can occur at any time. You could be doing Sufi whirling. You could be meditating. You could be walking on a beach. You could be getting up from the breakfast table. It doesn't matter because reality is always here. Pure awareness is always here. And when it gets a glimpse of itself, it gives you an understanding that, heck, we're not just an eye, there's something else here. Those who meditate, who find no mind, find that they're there, but there's nobody there, there's no eye there, there's just pure awareness. So what is this that is purely aware? That is what is interesting to the seeker. And the question, of course, is who am I?
really? Who am I? So the seeker investigates, usually gets involved in studying uh, books, YouTube, videos, trying to collect knowledge so they can understand their way to enlightenment. And of course, that does not work. You cannot understand your way to enlightenment because understanding is the booby prize. It's just a, a knowledgeable ego. What is aware of that knowledgeable ego? What is aware of it? That's of interest. Who are you really? And so it is only in practice that people wake up. The practice of self-inquiry, the practice of meditation, the practice of openness, and the practice of removing all obstacles that are in the way that create contraction in the mind and attract awareness back to itself. You look at these contractions. The mind contracts, awareness goes to it. And so if the mind even finds awareness, <laughs> awareness turning on itself, it starts to witness it. It starts to try to own it. And in that very ownership, it loses it. The mind has to let go. And so quite often it's said that what's required is unconditional surrender. And it's true. The mind needs to give itself to truth. The mind, the I, says, thy will be done, not my will. And so it surrenders. It surrenders to truth. It gives itself to truth. And that works if the mind is actually ready, if the mind has been prepared to support enlightenment. A mind that is constantly contracting and resisting life has not been prepared properly yet. Because the likelihood is that even if awareness is aware of itself, even if consciousness is aware of itself, there is going to be uh, coming back to the mind when the mind starts contracting and resisting. So you look and see what works and what doesn't work. It took me a long time to realize that the collecting of knowledge doesn't work. You can't raise your consciousness levels and you can't become enlightened by collecting knowledge. Even if the knowledge is good, it's not going to help that much. The only bit of knowledge that you need to know is that unconditional surrender is the doorway to enlightenment. Self-inquiry will facilitate it. Meditation will facilitate it. The practice of openness will facilitate it. All of these things are up to you. You really want to wake up. You need to do what you need to do to make it so. Are there any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? The first question, how can I deepen my love affair with truth so that my mind will surrender to it? Okay, so I can only talk about the experience that happened here. And that was that I got curious. 
I wanted to know what it was all about. What is this enlightenment thing? What is this higher consciousness thing? I'd been curious about personal growth before that. And it turns out that a lot of the things that involve personal growth also support higher consciousness, like removing belief systems that are limiting, uh, undoing anything that creates re resistance in you. Any kind of failure pattern needs to be uh, looked at and undone. So it's up to you when, you, it's up to you, completely up to you. You actually have to look and see. For me, I started to watch the mind. And in witnessing the mind, I started to see, hmm, there's something here that's aware of the mind. There's something else here. Where is this going? What's this that's aware? And then I get caught back into analyzing the mind and collecting knowledge and listening to teachers because I was only curious at that stage. The love affair hadn't developed yet. Then I started to, in satsang with Osho Rajneesh, I started to experience some of the silence and stillness that was around him. And there was a beauty in it. It was peaceful. And so I would come, come to satsang in the morning and I'd go to Darshan at night and I just fell in love with the silence and the stillness and the peace. It was just beautiful. Then after a few years, I started having what's called satori's. I had a major satori where while walking on the beach one day asking the question, who am I? I discovered self as the universe. Just every particle of everything that existed. And my mind went, wow. I want more of that. I want to know that. That became my beloved from the mind's perspective. And I just wanted to be one with the beloved. And so in examining the mind, I started to see what was creating the separation. And it was the dream of I. And so self-inquiry continued. Who's aware? What's aware? Who am I? The I was dismissed in meditation. It was dismissed in self-inquiry. The space was started to be found. The love affair from the mind to beingness, the beloved, was becoming stronger and stronger. Then some teachers came uh, eight years after Osho had died. And the moment they walked in the room, awakening occurred again, enlightenment, Satori. Self is everything. Oh, it's hard to describe. Self is everything and nothing. The mind was so infatuated, it was prepared to give itself to truth. It so wanted to be one with truth, the beloved. It gave itself to truth. Without Satori, do you think it's possible to fall in love with the beloved? 
I don't know. <laughs> it's not my experience. Though I can say this before Satori, before I started having Satori's, because it was about uh, four years after I met Osho, or five, that I started having Satori's. Before I had Satori's, I actually had fallen in love with Osho because he was beautiful and because the presence was beautiful. And so I was in love with the image of the teacher. And you've got to remember the teacher was carrying the presence, was carrying beingness, was exhibiting externally in presence what we are. And I had fallen in love with that. Do you encourage your students to focus on their love affair with you? No, not really. If someone falls in love, they fall in love. If they don't, they don't. Can, can you just hold, hold on for a second? You're, you're moving too, too quickly. I haven't finished talking. Is that okay? Sure. Thank you. When you find someone who's carrying the presence, if you're fortunate enough to fall in love with them, you're falling in love with a doorway that can show you truth, can show you your true nature. I had met uh, awakened people before I met Osho, and I wasn't impressed. There wasn't something there for me there. It just didn't click. When I met Osho, it clicked. It felt right. I was very impressed by him. And after a while, I fell in love with him. He's a very beautiful person. And so if people fall in love with what's here, so be it. If they don't, so be it. I don't encourage anybody. It's up to the individual. What do they find when they move into the presence here? What's here for them? I'm such a fatalist. If it's meant to be, it will be. If it is not meant to be, it will not be. Thank you. The next question is from a YouTube viewer. Hi. What is the best approach to removing limiting beliefs? Thank you. If we develop a witness to our mind that just watches the mind, we get to see all the different beliefs that come into play that make up who we think we are, where we think we're going, how we should behave, how other people should behave. And we, we can see that some of these beliefs um, create contraction in us when their expectations on them aren't met. From my perspective, any belief that 
creates a contraction because an expectation is not met is a limiting belief because it's keeping us locked in lower consciousness. The moment we put doubt into a belief system, we start undoing the belief system. And so in examining beliefs, we can ask the question about the belief, is it true? Is it true in the big picture of everything? And if there's any doubt there, we have found the doorway to undo that belief. And all beliefs are, have doubt, unless we firmly have faith in them. And that faith is going to keep us locked in lower consciousness. Challenge all belief systems. The best answer we can ever come up with is, I don't know. Because that's a more honest answer. But it's not doesn't make us feel safe to say, I don't know. It makes us safe to say, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But then we're closed. The moment we say, I know, we're closed. We've cut ourselves off. If we say, I don't know, we've allowed ourselves to remain open. We've become like little children again, open and fresh. So the universe can pour through us. We're not caught thinking we know. We're not stuck. And this is probably one of the biggest downfalls of the seeker. Thinking or believing that we know. Studying a whole pile of videos and reading a few books, we think we know the answers to all sorts of things that we don't know. The moment you think you know, you're stuck. Stay with I don't know. This is the beginner's mind. And to develop the beginner's mind is really the fastest way to higher consciousness. Because then the universe can pour through us. We're not caught in thinking we know. How did you decide which belief systems to adopt? when you were letting go of belief systems that didn't serve you? Well, I first started undoing belief systems when I was 19, when I realized there was, uh, I'd been programmed or brainwashed by uh, my parents, my religion, my school, my peers, uh, my government. I recognized that I'd been fed a lot of belief systems that weren't my experience. And when I really looked at them closely, there was no evidence to support them. There was just, they were just common belief systems. And so I started undoing them. It came to a point that I realized uh, that every belief system is limiting because every belief system has the possibility of creating contraction in us. And really, openness counts for everything. And so in removing belief systems, we remain open, 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 open. And this is the right ground for higher consciousness and the right ground for healing the wounds of the heart and the right ground for enlightenment. And so all belief systems were examined. 
all exist all all of them were examined to a level where doubt was put into them so they lost their power a belief system that has doubt in it loses its power if you're into freedom go with i don't know Do we need to be able to intellectually identify our belief systems to remove them? Or if we open every time that we contract, will they eventually remove themselves? Nothing removes itself without intervention. Human beings pretty much are programmed with everything they've got at the age of nine. And those programs become default patterns which run automatically and unconsciously unless there is intervention to undo those programs or to change those programs they don't change just by actually letting something go doesn't change it you actually have to actively undo it to change it and then you have to practice something different for long enough so whatever you're doing that is different becomes your default pattern Human beings are simply programmed and most human beings don't change much. After the age of 21, they're pretty much the same until they die, unless there's been some form of intervention. The best intervention you can get, of course, is to learn acceptance of life because then life becomes very, very beautiful. When we don't accept life as it is, when we're resisting life because we think it's wrong or we think it should be done different in some way or we just create suffering in ourselves so when we look at openness openness requires us to accept life as it is and this sets us up for high consciousness and it sets us up for enlightenment openness counts for everything A viewer has asked, are morals a belief system? Heck yeah. And morality for most people, in a lot of ways, is required. But if you can find your heart, if you can find love, you don't need morality because you will take care of everybody and everything anyway. Because when you find love, your mind is affected by love in such a way that you just want to take care of everybody. You will do no harm. You will take care of everything and everyone. Morality is required for people who don't have heart. They need a set of rules to live by because their mind is not tempered by the beauty of heart. So, the most beautiful way to live is the way of the heart. But that's up to you. That also requires a great deal of openness. Heart tends to appear in openness and disappear in closeness. And so the more defended and closed you are, more than likely the less heart you experience. The more open and undefended you are, the more vulnerable you are, the more likely you are to feel hard. And as you feel hard, you will do no harm.
Buddhism has 10 precepts. Can morality help you find heart? Buddhism has a lot more than 10 precepts. <laughs> so that statement's incorrect. What was the question again? Can morality help you to find heart? The only thing that I found effective in open in, in finding heart was openness. Uh, ideas just of the mind don't necessarily work. What works is openness and nothing else. And so you can try to intellectually understand heart, but that's not heart, that's understanding, that's still mind trip. True heart is absolutely beautiful. It's the true jewel of consciousness. And if you find heart and you live the way of the heart, you are living the noble path because you will take care of everything and everyone. There is no selfishness in the way of the heart. Selfishness is the mind without heart. The mind with love, selfishness disappears. A viewer has asked, if I am able to be open to a certain amount, am I really at zero in the game of zero? People would need to understand the game of zero, and I don't feel like explaining that right now. So we'll leave that question. Why were your worldly pursuits in the way of heart? Well, I went to a school that taught me how to win. And I went on to study business and become an entrepreneur, once again, how to win. And in a lot of ways, business is the art of war and the art of war is not about openness it's more or less about cleverness and closeness and so i saw my pursuits in business as in the way of my heart because i'd become too warlike and it was really nice for me to let it all go and pursue my heart but I don't think that's a requirement for anybody. That's just what I did. Because I felt that heart, love, was more important than success in business. More important than making money. Because heart is actually very beautiful. The next question is from a YouTube viewer. I get resentments and am aware of them, but can't let go. I'm able to be aware of awareness for around 10 minutes, which didn't stop it. 
Any advice for letting go of a resentment? If you're holding on to a resentment, you're holding on to a resentment. What you're suggesting is that you have no choice. And I disagree. You do have a choice. You're holding on to it. You're the only one that can let it go. Let go of the story and stop being a victim of whatever you're thinking of. Let go, let go, let go. Or continue to hold on. You actually have a choice here. You choose. A YouTube viewer has asked, How do I come out of self-created and useless imaginary thoughts? <laughs> put your awareness on what is real. As you're walking, put your awareness on your footfalls. Put your awareness on your arms moving. Put your awareness on your breath as it comes out and goes back in. Put your awareness on the sounds around you. Put your awareness on the feel of the air around you the heat of the sun around you. Put your awareness on anything that is real. It'll take you out of the dream and back into reality. This is called meditation. I've heard you speak about loose and disciplined minds. Why is a disciplined mind important for waking up? Well, when we look at what is a disciplined mind, it's just a mind that can basically behave, really, stay still, um, not carry on all over the place, not go into high, highly emotional states all the time, dramatic states all the time. A disciplined mind stays even, that's all. It's been trained to stay even. An undisciplined mind runs around like a monkey, just here, there and everywhere. So they call that monkey mind sometimes. A mind that has been trained or disciplined stays even, even when under attack, it just stays even. And so that will support higher consciousness and it will support enlightenment. Any time that our mind contracts and goes into drama, we're actually going down into lower consciousness anyway. We're going into a dream state. A mind that can stay even stays with what is real mind that can do that is a mind that has high consciousness. Savvy would like to know, is witnessing the mind same as analysing the mind? Heck no. No, analysing the mind is just another dream you take yourself into and you think that somehow that's doing you some good. Witnessing the mind is very different. You just watch the mind, you, like you're watching someone else's mind. You just watch it. And in the watching, you get to see what it's up to. So instead of analyzing, you're watching. And then the mind shows itself to you. And this is how you can raise your consciousness levels. Analyzing doesn't raise your consciousness levels because it's just taking you into another dream. Analyzing itself is a dream. Witness the mind and you'll see what it's up to. And you'll see all sorts of things that you go, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I will continue to do this. I will continue to do that. Because you're seeing it without judgment, 
you can then decide what you're going to let run and what you're not going to let run. In analysing, you're just lost in another dream. And a lot of seekers get caught in that trap. They just think that analysing and understanding is going to raise their consciousness levels. No, that's the booby prize. Watch the mind. Witness it without judgment. That's what works. The next question is from a YouTube viewer. Do you have to relive suppressed childhood emotions to get rid of limiting beliefs? Or can the belief go without reliving the emotion? So when we say reliving, we're talking about feeling uh, uh, repressed emotions. My understanding and my experience with healing wounds of the heart is what has been repressed needs to be felt so it can be released. It is in the feeling or the willingness to feel that we heal. We don't heal by understanding how we got wounded. We heal by being willing to feel what is there and by refusing to top it up by being a victim. And so quite often if we are wounded, there could, there's a story there of something where we're a victim of someone or something or even ourselves. We can feel that wound till the cows come home and not heal it if we're still topping it up by remaining a victim to whatever circumstance occurred. And so there's two things in healing the wounds of the heart that are important. One is to not keep topping it up by running any form of victim story about it. And the second is the willingness to feel it. If we're willing to feel wounding, we can heal it. But most people, they prefer not to feel it. They prefer to try to understand how it all happened and somehow think that that knowledge will heal them. No amount of knowledge ever healed a wound, ever. You have to be willing to feel it. And so that's uncomfortable because wounding isn't just painful. It also has helplessness and hopelessness in it. Two things which we really don't like to feel. But if you're willing to feel those things, you can start to heal what's there. It's up to you. It takes a little courage. The willingness to be with what is. To tenderly okay, to tenderly welcome what is. And whatever you do, stop the stories that created it in the first place. Something may have happened to you a long time ago. You're the one compounding it by repeating the story over and over in your own mind. Stop it. Don't be a victim. Don't be a victim ever. Be free of that. Do not volunteer to be a victim. Life is just the way it is. Craig has asked a question. I find I slowly contract over time when I'm left to my own devices. This is accelerated when with others that are not interested in awakening. How important is a loving support group? 
Okay, some of your words got garbled then, so I didn't really understand the question. Could you read it to me again, please? Sure. I find I slowly contract over time when I am left to my own devices. This is accelerated when with others that are not interested in awakening. How important is a loving support group? I got to say that um, I didn't actually have a loving support group, um, so it's not absolutely required. I decided to start healing my wounds when I was quite young because I recognized that um, other people could control me through them and I just wasn't into it. And so we get frightened of feeling abandonment, we get frightened, frightened of feeling rejected, we get frightened of feeling all sorts of things, frightened of feeling being shamed, being seen as stupid. And quite often there's wounding attached in there somewhere from our past. And so we're so frightened of feeling that wounding, we comply, we sell out on ourselves. And I just wasn't interested in doing that. And so I started looking for my wounding when I was quite young, in my late teenage years, so I could start to heal it. Um, it took a while for me to work out ways to heal wounding. Uh, I got involved with a lot of inner child work, even before inner child work wasn't even being published. I started to find a way to be with those children inside of myself or those parts inside of myself that were quite young that were holding pain and allowing myself to go in there and actually be with them and uh, release it through the willingness to feel it. So I didn't have the support group that a lot of people would have, though I did get involved with a lot of people who were teaching uh, how to heal, were teaching ways that worked, and that did help. So you can get involved with a group of people who can support you in healing, or you can do it by yourself. I think it's probably harder to do it by yourself than it is if you've got a support group. I, I have created an environment uh, in Perth where people are in a group and they do support each other uh, in this uh, awakening process, part of which, of course, is healing the wounds of the heart. And so there is a lot of support here probably the support I would have liked when I was a seeker. But it's up to you. You're the one who has to feel your wounds. You're the one who has to do the healing. No matter how supportful someone is, they can't do it for you. You're still the one who has to do it. And so I saw um, the different people who were uh, activating my wounding as teachers. They were showing me where I was wounded. And I allowed myself to feel what was being touched and heal what was being touched. And so instead of going into rebellion against these people that were triggering my wounding, I was kind of seeing them as my teachers who were showing me where my wounding was so I could show up in there and start to heal it. And that was very helpful. <laughs> Is there 
Is it best that I have a partner who is also into higher consciousness to support my chances of waking up? Ah, you have a partner in life because you love people. That's best. It's lovely to love someone. It's lovely to be loved by someone. It's lovely to share the journey with someone. And you can share to a certain degree. It's very difficult to be with someone who's not into truth if you're into truth. Because they're going in a different direction than you. But it's possible. Everybody and everything can be your teacher if you allow it to be so. And so every disagreement or every different direction or every misunderstanding can be used to practice acceptance, can be used to practice let go, can be used to practice openness, the things that facilitate higher consciousness. Once again, it's up to you. How are you going to live your life? Sometimes a spiritual life isn't noticed because you're not wearing robes and you're not wearing beads, but you are practicing mindfulness. You are practicing meditation. Nobody needs to know. You are practicing self-inquiry. Nobody needs to know. You are allowing yourself to feel your wounding and healing it. Nobody needs to know. All of these things can be done without the world knowing. It's up to you. Only you can do that. Nobody can do it for you. Is finding heart an essential requirement for waking up? No. Not at all. Finding heart will either happen or it won't happen. The awakening of the heart will happen or it won't happen. My experience is it happens in openness. It happens in unconditional surrender to what is. But someone can actually go direct to beingness through self-inquiry and know themselves as truth directly. This is the fast way. Once awakening occurs, there's probably enough openness to support heart. You have to see. But you can go directly to enlightenment without awakening in the heart. Uh, another question from a viewer. Any tips for finding awakened individuals in my area to hang out with? <laughs> I... There'll be people talking negatively about them and there'll be people talking positively about them because people who are awake stir everyone up. And so some people will love them and some people will not love them. And so quite often you'll hear the negatives. And that it sets you on alarm. Ah, there's something there. Someone's stirring things up. <laughs> because awake people always stir things up. Even if I do everything that is required... Even if I do everything that is required to wake up, Will I wake up? No. <laughs> There's no guarantee whatsoever that you'll wake up, even if you do everything that is required. 
you can prepare the mind and have higher consciousness. You can find the heart and love. But enlightenment is by grace. It either happens or it does not happen. And that side of it, I would have to put down to karma. Can I wake up without an enlightened teacher? Heck yeah. I don't think it's impossible at all to wake up without an enlightened teacher. My understanding through my memory is that uh, we have had many, many, many lives on this planet and that a lot of seekers have been here before doing this many, many times before and have done a great deal of work to raise their consciousness in previous lifetimes and created enough merit through their good deeds to give them good karma in past lives. So some people come into this life awake. Some people sit on a park bench and wake up. But I believe it's all a result of work done previously. And so if you haven't done the work previously, you need to do it in this lifetime. But some people come into this life very conscious. Some people come in awake. But my understanding is that that's a re result of previous work. Do I have to be able to rest in no mind to wake up? Not necessarily. Self-inquiry can take you directly to uh, awakening. Awareness can become aware of itself simply through self-inquiry. It's just that our mind that is actually able to be quiet is more likely to support what is bound. That is all. A lot of teachers say you already are that, but that is not my experience. What am I missing? Nothing. You just don't see what's there. You already are that. That's true. Everybody is beingness. You're already at your final destination. You can't go anywhere to find you because you're already there as pure awareness. It's just that the pure awareness that you are is not aware of itself. And so the attempt from the seeker is to use the mind to help awareness turn back to itself so it becomes aware of itself. You are already that. There's no doubt about that. We are all beingness. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to really get. Just turn awareness back to itself. If you could give only one teaching on what is required to wake up, what would that one teaching be? Practice openness. Openness counts for everything. If you practice openness, you'll find your heart. If you continue to practice openness, the ego will disappear because the ego itself is closed. 
the obstacles would be removed. That that's aware of the mind can easily become aware of itself then. I advocate the practice of openness. It counts for everything. The next question is from Christine. I feel guided by Osho. Do you experience his presence and guidance? I don't experience any separation whatsoever from Osho, as I don't experience any separation from you. Find yourself as truth, and then you know yourself as one, everything, and nothing. The whole idea of separation is ego-based, not reality-based. We are one. Osho is here. There is no separation. The next question is from Arthur. They have measured brain waves. Is it possible? That a Buddha field is a certain brain wave frequency and that binaural beats of the same frequency could help. Possibly. I, I don't know the answer, but it's possibly true. It's just that the instruments that we have, which are run with electricity, which is a very gross energy form, cannot produce something as fine as a Buddha field. I believe that love is also a frequency, but our, in, our instruments are too blunt, too gross, to, using too uh, heavier energy field in themselves to detect the fineness of love or the fineness of a Buddha field. Though maybe it'll be possible one day when we become more refined with our electronic equipment. The human mind can detect love because it radiates. The human mind can detect a, a Buddha field because it's a radiation, because it's fine enough to do so. But the instruments that we have today can't really detect it and they can't produce it as far as I know. But it would be really nice if they could. Then we could have Buddha fields all over the place and love fields everywhere. That would be an awesome invention. We have a question from a viewer. Christine would like to ask you a question. Hello. Hello, Christine. You need to unmute yourself, I believe. Hello. What a blessing. <laughs> I'm so excited to meet you. Hello. Very powerful. <laughs> Where are you, Christine? I'm in South Florida. Aha. Uh -huh. It's a long journey from here. Yes. 
Welcome. So I was guided to you from Kevin Reese, Dr. Kevin Reese. And I, I listened to your podcast with him. And then I was guided to Osho. And I just feel a powerful presence, his presence. Yes, you can feel what is here. Awareness became aware of itself here 21 years ago. And so there is a Buddha field here. And those who can feel it, can feel it. Those who can't, can't. This is the same presence that I fell in love with, that I found with Osho. And I, I fell in love with his words as well. He was a very articulate, beautiful man to listen to. But the energy field is the same. He used to describe it as when you go to the ocean, it is salty. When you go to any ocean, it is salty. It is the same. The Buddha field is always the same. And the more surrendered the mind is, the more powerful the Buddha field is. Because awareness is more on itself than out here. And so quite often when you talk to people who are awake, they're very, very gone. Because awareness is very, very in on itself. So Osho, when I met him, was at the latter stages of enlightenment, the sattvic stage of enlightenment, where he was so gone. I remember watching videos of him in his younger years, where he was more rajasic, more, more in the world. But as, you, as time goes by, the pull-in, awareness pulling in onto itself, is stronger and stronger and stronger. So there's a heading towards a more silent, a more still, a more sattvic way of being in the world. And so after 21 years, the field here has got quite strong. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a very powerful gravity. It's, it's, we're being pulled together now. We're yeah. finding each other. Yes, that's right. And it's a doorway for you into your own self because you're really experiencing your own self to some degree. The Buddha field is just you externally in a way. It's a doorway into who you are. And so it starts to expand your mind. It starts to quieten your mind. And then it's easier for you to have clarity. And it's easier for you to self-inquire and discover that space that's behind the mind that is simply aware for yourself. I feel it. <laughs> I totally lost my mind this week. <laughs> yeah. I let it go. Thank you. Ah, oh, my pleasure. My teacher Osho said, "If you find the light, don't hide it, shine it." Yes. And the idea is to find more lights so there can be more light in the world. Yes, we're lighting up this world. Yes. Thank you. I hope to meet you someday. We've just met. <laughs> in, in person. <laughs> You're very welcome. I don't tend to travel because I believe that the people that are here need me if they start waking up and need me if they start going into the dark night of the soul, which happens to seekers. And I don't see the point of me being out of the country um, while they're going through that. So you'd have to come to Australia.
Australia. Okay. Yeah. It's I'm nice going with Yeah, I would love to visit Australia. Do you host retreats? Ah, uh, we do. Yes. Okay. I'll look into that. Thank you. Thank you. Does everything in the universe produce the love frequency? I don't know the answer to that question. I know that I see love everywhere and perceive love everywhere. But love is a mystery to me. I perceive it, but trying to understand love, I haven't, I haven't been able to wrap my mind around it. It just is, and sometimes it isn't. If I'm out here, there's so much love for everything. If I go in, there's just vast nothingness, vast, vast emptiness. And so love is a mystery to me. I've experienced it as every particle in the universe. And then I've experienced it as something that moves and comes out and touches. I've experienced it as just beauty. But it's still a mystery to me. Can you say anything more about the experience of love? <laughs> Not really. Not really. It's just beautiful. It's worth going for, but it requires our openness. Some people experience love to some degree, but they limit themselves because of their closeness, their defendedness. If you really want to experience more love in your life, allow yourself to be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be more yin than yang. Allow the world to pass through you instead of letting it bounce off you. Love is the most beautiful thing that we can, as human beings can really experience. And it affects our minds in such a way that we just want to take care of everyone and everything. And so it is the true jewel of consciousness. But from my perspective, it is such a mystery. It is just here. And it's real. What's thought about it is not real. But it in itself is real. <laughs> I think enough for today. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today.